Our God is a consuming fire. Our God is the great I am. He never fails, never seen a problem he couldn't solve, never seen a person he didn't love, never seen a soul he couldn't save. Praise God. What a mighty God. What an awesome God. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity now to come to the solemnity of this moment. We know that the preaching event is a very critical time in your presence. It's a time when we open the book of life and we glean from its pages advice and instruction to live this journey that we're on. We just praise you and thank you for a word that you've given today. And I ask you to assist us through the comfort of the Holy Spirit to deliver the word of God as you have laid it upon our heart. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. There is so much in God's word about one anothering. There is so much in God's word about relationships in the body of Christ and even outside the body of Christ. We're given so much instruction about how we're to treat one another and how we're to care one for another. In fact, the Bible says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The Bible tells us that we have compassion for one another making a difference, the Bible says. The Bible tells us that we should uh, have bowels of mercy and bowels of compassion and concern one for another. In fact, the Bible just comes out and says, if you see that your brother hath need and you shut up your bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in you? What a verse that is kind of brings us all under the microscope there of our, our conscience, doesn't it? And how we really think and how we really feel. This one anothering has been interrupted uh, by something we call COVID-19. And we aren't, hadn't been able to be in one another's presence uh, like we are normally. And I, I gather as we normally do in uh, our church and congregational life. Paul, the apostle, was such a great influence and such a powerful architect of the early church. He was in Athens and was separated from the people of God that were elsewhere. And he communicated with them by, by letter. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. He says, Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens. And we sent Timotheus, or as we would say Timothy, our brother, a minister of God, and a fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ. We sent him there to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. To establish you. Do you believe God gives ministers that are uh, enabled by the gifting of the Holy Spirit to establish people in the faith? Well, they really are. And not just to establish people in the faith, but also to give them comfort and consolation in their belief system. Their trust in God. And he said, Timothy, we've sent to you that no man should be moved by the afflictions that you're going through right now. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. In other words, in this life you will have tribulation. And in this life you will suffer uh, disease and you'll suffer uh, heartache and loss and sorrow. All of that goes along with this thing we call living and life. And he said, we're appointed to that. For verily, 
when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation even as it came to pass, and you know. And for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent Timothy to know your faith. I was wondering about how you made it through the affliction. I was wondering how you were faring with that constant battle that you're having with the persecution from the Romans and the famine and all the things that's going on in the world. I was wondering about your faith. I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter may have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Or we preached the gospel and established the church and then lost it because your faith did not see you through the difficulty that you were in. And they said, I wanted to know what the outcome was. And when Timotheus came in from you to us and brought back the good tidings of your faith and your charity. In other words, you made it through the difficulty, fine. You made it through the hardship, fine. You came through the famine and the persecution, all of that and your faith is intact and you still got the glory of the Lord in your life and you're even charitable in your giving and that you have good remembrance of us always desiring greatly to see us as we do to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live if you stay fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render unto God for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. That we might see your faith and perfect or make complete that which is lacking. Do, do, you, do you see pastors and teachers as people who assist you in making your faith complete? and helping you work on things that are lacking in your life, that as they share the gospel and they live an example before you, that they are repairing some of the things that are in your life that are lacking, that need attention, and giving you information that will help you in your struggle. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and the Lord make you increase and abound in love one toward another, and not just one toward another, but toward all men, even as we do toward you, to the end that God may establish your heart unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of the Lord Jesus with all of his saints. Well, what a great passage that is, and it inform, informs us that even in absence that we can through prayer maintain relationship one with another. And that when we come together to worship that God benefits us and blesses us with information from the word of God that is laid upon a, the heart of a, a communicator that will build, build us up and make us strong in God. Among those many devices of Satan's attack on our faith is that very human desire for comfort. Boy, no one loves to sit in their chair at the end of a busy day like I do. Boy, I love it when the air is cool and I've had a good hot bath and I go in and I sit down in my chair and get comfortable. I really like, my, my physical being loves that. But I want to tell you, my spiritual being also loves to rest. And in Hebrews 4 and 4, the Bible said, There remaineth therefore a rest for the people of God. We even love to live our lives in our comfort zone. It's a place where we feel safe and where we feel loved. And so many times our comfort zone can become 
a little bit too oft visited because sometimes we don't take steps of faith because we'd rather be comfortable in our comfort zone. Jesus even promised that he would never leave us comfortless. Wow. But he says, I will come to you amidst the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5, verse 4 said, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. We often quote the 23rd Psalm at funerals. The fourth verse says, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, our God is called the God of all comfort. In John 14, 26, the Holy Ghost is called the Comforter whom the Lord will send. And I will pray the Father. He shall give you another Comforter that he may abide with you forever. In Acts 9, 31, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, they were multiplied. Boy, that's what I want to happen at harvest, don't you? Walking in the comfort of the Holy Ghost and the number of them multiplied. Hey, do those things go together? If that's a formula, then praise God, we need to get that formula to become activity. Walking in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, the number of them multiplied. Does the number multiply as we walk in the comfort of the Holy Ghost? It sounds like that, doesn't it? In fact, in another verse, in Acts 6, the Bible said, and the word of God grew mightily and prevailed, and the number of disciples increased. So when we walk in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, and when the word of God is spread mightily and prevails, then the number of disciples increase. What a great formula for success that is. And I think harvest should adapt that as a, a means of, of growing spiritually and physically, walking in the comfort of the Holy Ghost and preaching the Word of God and disciples multiplying. So then when our faith is waned from the buffeting onslaught of the adversary or the loss of something or someone that we cherish and love, I want to tell you there is a comforter inside you. There's a comforter who lives inside you. There is a God of all comfort. There is a Jesus who said, I won't leave you comfortless. There is a word of God, the Bible said, that will comfort our hearts concerning our faith. In Psalm 119 and 50, this is my comfort even in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. Thy word hath made me alive. Wow. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and 11, wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another. Comfort yourselves together. You mean I have a contribution to make to comfort? Just as I have a contribution to make to conflict. I also have a contribution to make of comfort. Do you make people comfortable? Or do you make people angry? What contribution do you make? Do you contribute to conflict? Or do you contribute to comfort? He said, comfort one another. I'm comforting some of you so much you're going to sleep. Wake up. We can comfort one another. Do you know comforters? 
Has God put any comforters in your life? Have there been any comforters today that have comforted you since you came here? I would hope so. I would hope that every time we speak to one another, we comfort one another and make people feel better. I would like to think that uh, we would contribute to comfort so much that it would remove all conflict. I wish that comfort could be employed in the pulpit, in the pew, in the altars, on the stage, that comfort would be one of our main objectives in worship because worship will comfort your soul. I don't feel comfortable at any other time like I feel comfortable when I'm worshiping the Lord. When I'm worshiping and singing those songs and when I'm, when I'm adoring Him in my, my heart and my life, then there's something of a comfort that is about that. It is God's plan for those who are redeemed to love one another and care for one another and pray for one another and comfort one another. Some of the things that you have gone through were not for you. You probably got mad because they happened to you, but they weren't meant for you. How do you think they weren't meant for me, Pastor? They were meant for you to have a testimony. They were meant because God had confidence in you that you could make it through that situation, that you could endure that circumstance, and that then once you'd been tested, you'd have a testimony so that you could support and comfort and encourage someone else who's going through a similar difficulty that you just won a victory over. The problem with comfort, as it is with all of God's blessings, is that the devil will take what God intends for good and he'll pervert it. He wants us to learn to run for comfort and cover to places outside our calling so that he can keep us comfortable in our dysfunction. Wow. And so we will never see our destiny He is a thief and he wants to steal the joy and praise of your relationship with Jesus. He's a murderer in that he wants to destroy faith and kill your trust and kill your desire to serve him. You see, the enemy of our souls will help you get so comfortable in your waywardness to the point that it no longer becomes a problem. You become comfortable with it. Sometimes when I see people wearing a brace, I'll say, that thing must be awful. I'll say, well, I've had to learn to be comfortable with it. I've had to learn to get comfortable with it. If I lay in this position, if I do this, if I sit this way, then it's more comfortable for me. You see, some of the things that Satan has attacked our lives with, we've learned to be comfortable with. We've learned to allow that to go on and allow that to stay with us when God's will is for us to move on and get past that and realize our destiny. We've too long been comfortable with waywardness and dysfunction. I, 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 I talk to people that will tell me, Pastor, I, I, I went through a time there when I, I just didn't feel like I was getting any answers to prayer and I just felt like I got slow, slow about reading the Word of God. I, I just really got cold and and just didn't do anything about it for a long time. It just became a way of life. You see, habits that are formed have to be intentionally broken. 
If you've got a habit that you know is not God's will and God's plan, then you need to break that habit. And long-standing habits are hard to break. I said they're hard to break. When my heart doctor told me, no more sweets, that broke my heart. You got to watch about starches, potatoes, bread, fried foods. Well, listen, I'm in my comfort zone of my lemon meringue pie and my apple cobbler and my chicken and dumplings. And you're telling me that I've got to break my habit and break my strong desire for that. And here was his answer. Well, if you want to live, if you want to live spiritually, you got to get control of the things you ingest. I've had him say to me a number of times, you are what you eat. Okay, but that works spiritually as well. When you know batting averages and you know shooting percentages in basketball and you know yards gained in football more than you know what God's Word says, then you're ingesting something that you need to put some stuff in you that'll make you strong spiritually. You need to ingest and put some stuff inside you that will cause you to be strong spiritually. Amen. Hey, you've got some great weapons. You don't have to be a punching bag for the devil. You don't have to fall for every scheme that he devises. You don't have to be a person that is uh, so weak and so anemic that he just overcomes you with a whim. No, there's a place in God that you can reach that you can resist the devil and actually chase him. How long has it been since you went devil hunting? There's a lady with a testimony sitting on the front seat. She told me, she said, Brother Irwin said, prayer got difficult. Reading the word of God didn't seem to give any power. Something was wrong. It was in my house. And she said, I went devil hunting in my house. And she said, something I had forgot was even there. I went searching for it, looking for it, and said, I found a Book of Mormon in my house. And she said, when I got rid of that Book of Mormon and got it out of my house, I had a spiritual breakthrough. Well, my Lord, Brother Jerry, that's fanaticism. No, and that's why you're sitting around don't know why this happens to me. I don't know why that's going on. I don't know why. Hey, I'll tell you why. I just told you. You've got some things that you've let in that you need to go devil hunting and hunt them up and get them out. Get them out of your life. Get them out of your mind. Get them out of your heart. Amen. Clear, clear up the flow. Let the frequency be clear. 
Oh, that's good preaching. But I would remind you that Jesus come to confront people who were in bondage and people were in, in fear and oppressed and downhearted. He came to comfort the chaos in people's life. There was a Samaritan woman at the well. She wasn't looking for Jesus, but she met him. Had all kind of dysfunction going on in her life. Been married five times. And was living with one she wasn't married to. And Jesus said, if you'll drink of some water I'll give you, you'll never thirst again. The lame man at the gate of the temple, he'd become so comfortable with his chaos that every day was the same routine, lay at the gate and beg for alms. The palsied man at the pool of Bethesda, he was so comfortable that he'd laid there 38 years blaming everybody else. I don't have anybody to put me in the pool when the water is troubled, therefore I never get blessed. I'm always overlooked, so I just lay here year after year because nobody cares. But Jesus said, let me comfort your chaos. Arise and take up that bed and walk. Blind man in John 9, sitting on the side of the road, blind all his life, born blind, but at Jesus passed by. Oh, what a difference since Jesus passed by. When Jesus passed by, the disciples said, why is this man sick? Has he done some great evil, some sin? Was it him or was it his mom and daddy? Jesus said, wasn't either one but that the works of him that sent me might be made manifest in him. And Jesus spat on the ground, knelt and made clay of the spittle, and the Bible said anointed his eyes. The Bible didn't say placed it on his eyes. The Bible said anointed his eyes. Well, now, Brother Jerry, we got a pretty little jug we put anointing oil in. We don't put spit in pretty bottles. We don't want people coming in contact with no spit. Jesus must have not known about the law of COVID-19. Don't be spitting around. No human fluids around. Well, I'm telling you, our God is not bound by man-made laws and decrees. He spat on the ground, and he got down, and he took his finger, and he stirred it, and he made clay of that spittle, and he picked it up and anointed. Didn't say he placed it. He anointed it. Why did he anoint his fit? Because he was the anointed one. And so when anointed ones take something in their hand, it's anointed. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man and said, go wash. And the Bible said, and he came seeing. It offended all of the comfort zone people. The comfort zone people said, what a radical. 
the comfort zone people said he's violated our law because if you'll check on the calendar, today is Sabbath and we don't work on Sabbath, so he is a sinner. So let's go ask him. So they went and asked him, said, are you the man that was blind? I am. He said, don't you know that man's a sinner? It was Sabbath day that he did that work. And the man said, whether he be a sinner or not, I don't know. All I know is I once was blind, but now I see. Praise God. That should be the admission of every person in this house. I once was lost, but now I'm found. God dealt with the chaos in my life and spoke peace and comfort to me. You see, when they all met Jesus, he confronted them in their comfort zone of normalcy and delivered them by the power of his calling and his purpose. Could I tell you that some of you have people in your lives that are good to you, but they're not good for you. They make it easy for you to stay in your comfort zone. They pet you. They pamper you. They affirm you. They take it on the chin for you. They make it easy. They, they never confront you. I said they never confront you. The one thing about a, a true friend is they will confront you. A true friend won't let you go on in disbelief and disobedience. A true friend will tell you the truth at all times. Iron sharpens iron, and so doth the power and influence of a friend change the countenance of them that are his friends. God put people in your life that love you enough to confront you and tell you, you don't need to be acting like that. You need to quit being that way. Well, Brother Jerry, he'd probably bust my jaw, slap my jaw if I said something like that to him. Do you love him enough to take the risk? Do you love her enough to tell her the truth? Boy, it's quiet in this house, isn't it? I'm talking about your comfort zone. I'm talking about a God who comforts your chaos. You see, the Bible said, My brethren, I write these things unto you that you sin not. Don't live a life of continual sin. But if any man does sin, and he's called it talking to brethren. Who are brethren? Christians. Save people. Save people in the church that sin. Come on, it's right out of the Word of God. Brethren, I write these things unto you that you sin not, but if any man does sin, he has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You mean he didn't lose Jesus? You mean Jesus didn't throw him away? He still has an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And the next verse, somebody say next verse. Next verse says, And if we confess our sin, 
He is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a verse. That means that if you have a chaotic dysfunction, if you've got selfishness, if you've got jealousy, if you've got hatred in your heart, if you've got prejudice, no matter what you've got, if it's there, you have an advocate with the Father. And if you confess, boy, it's so quiet you can hear a pin drop in this place. If we confess, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. Now, I can assuredly, profoundly, astutely tell you God forgives. Now, whether he or she will, I don't really know. Because sometimes they'll make you think. They'll even say, but they don't really in their heart. Still quiet in here, isn't it? I think it's going to be quiet the rest of this sermon. But if someone loves you enough to confront you and bring your attention to the real issue and you can deal with it, what does the Bible say? The Bible says in the book of James, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, overtaken in a fault, and he said, and you can go to him and you can convert that sinner from the error of his way. Don't you be converted to him. But if you can convert him from the error of his way, listen to what the Bible says, you have saved a soul from hell and you've hid a multitude of sins. Wow. Strong medicine, isn't it? Strong medicine. He said, Ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Honey, don't you go in there calling names and threatening and come on somebody in a spirit of meekness. Considering yourself lest thou also be tempted. Well, you know, the Apostle Paul, by the will of God, Timothy, all of these personalities, he says unto the church of God in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 1 through 4, come on, Connor, and help me quit. He says, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. Blessed be God, Father of our Lord Jesus, Father of mercy, And the God of all comfort who comforteth us in all of our tribulation that we may be able to comfort others which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Not only does God give me comfort for my chaos, but sometimes he will give me chaos to confront my comfort. Mm. And that's a misunderstanding of why Jesus came. I know why it came. The Bible said, this is a faithful saying, Paul said. 
worthy of all acceptation, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm chief. But I also know what he did not come to do. He did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. His real reason for coming into the world is to save people who are lost. Is it possible that COVID-19 could have been an effort on the part of God to confront the darkness that is in this present world with a message of light and peace? Could it be that God wants to focus our attention on disease and healing in such an unprecedented way that we would be reminded that sin sickness is an epidemic for which there is a cure? That the cure is the life of Jesus as Savior and Lord? That the cure is available to every person regardless of the color of their skin, the ethnicity, or gender, or station in life? The only reason people perish is that they don't take the cure. There is a cure. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flow and lose all their guilty stains. We don't even recognize Him when He comes because we don't understand what He came to do. He came to heal and He came to deliver. And now the enemy of our souls has focused our attention off of a pandemic. And instead of our gaze upon a, a, a disease and a pandemic, it's now been our gazes on one another. And we're pointing fingers at one another in this country. And I want to tell you that hurts the heart of God for us to do that. And I want to tell you, I don't see people of different ethnicities. I just see children of God. I just see people of God sitting here in this room today. We made that decision a long time ago. Did you know I've been your pastor in five decades? Trying to figure that out, aren't you? One was in the 80s. I came in 1986. Another decade was the 90s. Another decade was the 2000s. Another decade was 2010s. Another decade is 2020. Five decades. When I came to be pastor of this church, you'd had five pastors in six years. One stayed 14 months. Boy, God's brought us a mighty long way. The first month that I was your pastor, we had a soldier out at Fort McClellan, and he was a Puerto Rican. At that time, Harvest Temple was an all-white church. And some came to me and said, we need to tell him to find a place to worship somewhere else. And I said, no, sir, that's not going to happen. I said, as long as I'm the pastor of this church, may not be long, I might I make it 14 months. But I said, as long as I'm here, whoever comes to this church to worship, if they come for the right reason, they're here as children of God. And of course, that guy left and took about 65 with him. Cleveland called and said, what's going on down there? I said, well, we just got to make up our mind who we're going to be and what we are.
Amen. And God has blessed us. I thank God for our diversity. I thank God that we have people from Nigeria. We have uh, people that are Hispanics. We have people from all walks of life. And that's the way I, I want it. That's the way God wants it to be. And that's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. Listen, the Bible said, be angry and sin not. There's a way for you to express your displeasure. Martin Luther King made this statement. He said, you cannot confront hatred with hatred. And you cannot confront violence with violence. He says it must be peaceful. And I believe that also. Christians can get angry. Yes, there are a lot of things that anger me. You ever get angry and sin not? You mean a Christian can get angry and sin not? Yeah, I get angry. I'm angered by the fact that it's so hard to adopt a baby, but it's so easy to kill them. I'm angered by the fact that while churches were closed, liquor stores were open. Because there were so many alcoholics with the disease of alcoholism, they need their booze. I'm angered by the fact that drugs and gangs and violence are such a menace to our society. I'm angered that an interstate that runs through our city is one of the main pipelines for human trafficking in our country. Young teenage girls and boys are abducted from homes and streets and schools and made sex slaves by evildoers. And yes, I'm angered that police who are sworn to serve and protect would murder anybody, and I feel they should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And you don't have time for me to go on and on about that. These things and many more anger us. But we, listen to this, but for a Bible-believing Christian, there is a filter that guards our speech and governs our behavior concerning one another. We are not at liberty to spew out venomous threats. We're not at liberty to be mean-spirited. We're not at liberty to threaten comments of hatred and malice toward one another. We're not at liberty to do that. The Bible doesn't let you do that. To do that is anti-Christ, and to do that is unbiblical. And it has zero place in the life of a Christian and a believer, especially a Holy Ghost-filled believer. Colossians 2 and 1. You can stand if you'd like to. I'm closing. Love these short services, don't you? Colossians 2, 1 through 3. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face, that their heart might be comforted, being knit together. Somebody say knit together that their hearts might be comforted being knit together. Not sewn together, but knit together. Knit together in love unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, Father, and of Christ in whom he hid the treasures. Rita, there is a thread that is called love. And if I remember my mother correctly, knitting Afghans and all of that 
stuff, there were two needles that she would knit together. Those needles are called faith and love, faith and hope, and the thread is love. And I believe that God takes knitting needles and takes the thread of love and knits the heart of one believer to another believer to another believer and another believer and another believer and another believer until that thread has sewn its way all through this house and that when we walk out of here, we are a blanket. A blanket that is knit together by the love of God. Held together by the thread of love and knitted together by needles of hope and faith. Praise God. So that when I leave this place, Virginia, I'm going to leave here with a testimony. A testimony that I have been comforted today concerning my faith. A testimony that my heart has been knit together with the heart of every person in this room today. And we leave here as one. I said we leave here as one garment. One garment knit together, held together by the thread of love. Well, we can't get any closer, so I can't hug your neck, and I can't shake your hand, but I'll wave at you. I'll wave at you and say I love every one of you. I love every person that's in this house. Love every one of you. And God loves you. And God cares about you. And that great verse in parting, cast all your care upon Him because He cares about you. Hallelujah. You know what? I got a vision of that. When you just are got a burden on your back and you're bent so, so badly, you're just barely making it along. And along comes Jesus. And He says, let me have that. And you just do like that. And He takes that burden off of you. And suddenly you, whoo! Boy, that feels better. Don't it feel better I feel better, so much better, since what? He laid my burden down. Laid my burden down. I feel better. I hope you feel better as you leave God's house today. God dismiss us from this place, but not your sight. Be gracious to everyone in this house. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you and God go with you. It's my prayer. You have a great day in God and stay safe.